And then in chapters four through six, we see what that looks like on the ground. And we, we deal with this, this one another aspect of being the church, that, that, that we're not just a bunch of individuals who, who uh, come together on, on Sunday mornings, but we're actually united one to another, that we actually grow together, that we're actually one body in Christ. So how do you close such a letter? How do you close such a letter with, with so much weight to it? Paul closes it with an exhortation to stand firm in its truths and with one of the most well-known images of the entire Bible where he talks about putting on the armor of God. Now I've got to say, I'm worried that as the church, sometimes we, we can grow too familiar with such passages that we can easily breeze over them and not really take in what they're trying to tell us. You know, we can take something like talking about the armor of God and relegate it to silly children's songs or, or, or relegate it to, to your Christian Halloween costume or Harvest Fest costume. I don't want to offend anybody. Um, but, you know, we can relegate it to such things with, without ever really taking it in and, and seeing what it, what it actually says, how it actually speaks into our life, what, what we're actually supposed to believe from it, what we're actually supposed to do from it. We're looking at one of those passages today that I am afraid has become overly familiar, that a lot of times many Christians don't take it to heart. They don't, they don't really take it into their lives. I hope that today you won't breeze past what Paul is saying here because it's ever important. And I hope you'll let, that you'll consider it and take it seriously. He's telling us that we are in a war that we're in a war and we need to be prepared for that war. No, it's not, it's not a physical war. It's not, it's not some kind of Christian crusade or, or, or jihad or anything like that. That's not the kind of war we're talking about. We're talking about spiritual war and we're in the midst of it. It's fought against an unseen enemy. And a lot of people think that that means that it's not real or it's not that serious, but let me tell you something. An unseen enemy is the scariest kind of enemy that you can possibly face. Ask anyone who's, who's ever gone to war. You want to be able to see the enemy. You want to know where he is. You want to know who he is. And spiritual warfare is of the utmost importance. So let's dive into the text real quick. As Paul tells believers that they must stand firm in the Lord's strength in the midst of spiritual warfare by putting on the whole armor of God. Read verse 10 with me real quick. This verse kind of sums up the whole, the whole thing but we are going to keep going after the verse, just so you know. I don't want you to get too excited. Verse 10 says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the, and be, sorry, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. We can, as believers, we can and we must stand in the Lord's strength. We can and we must stand in the Lord's strength and not our own. We can't stand in our own strength. And, you know, as humans, and particularly as, as Americans, uh, we, we don't like this very much. We have this tendency to want to do things on our own, to do them in our own strength and, and never actually accept help from anyone else. And, and I'm convinced that this is why a lot of people reject the gospel. You know that? I'm convinced that this is why a lot of people reject the gospel. It, 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 the gospel says that you cannot save yourself. People don't like that. People want to be able to save themselves. 
They want to do things in their own power. They want to they show off who they are and what they can do. But the gospel says you, you, you can't. You can't do it. You can't do it in your own power. You can't be good enough. You can't be smart enough. You can't be or do anything good enough to save yourself. The gospel says that you have nothing to offer God, and yet God saves sinners in his son, Jesus Christ. Do you believe that today? Do you believe that you must stand firm in his power and not your own? Or are you still trying in your own strength to stand strong? We like to do things ourselves. We don't want help. It's inherent in our nature. I can prove that through my three-year-old child. My child, Marley, who is uh, three years old, she's just recently figured out how to get herself dressed, kind of. Um, Y'all know what I'm talking about, right? It it seems like a great thing. You know, we also have a one-year-old, Myla, and and while I'm trying to put her clothes on and she's wiggling and everything, I find myself saying, I can't wait for the day where she can just get herself dressed. And then Marley learns how to get herself dressed, and I realize maybe it is a little more frustrating uh, than I had anticipated. With Marley, she, you know, while she can most definitely get her shirt and her pants on, uh, they nine times out of ten end up backwards or inside out or upside down somehow. I, I don't even know how, how that one works. Or, you know, she's got her, her head and her arm coming out of the same armhole. And uh, the, the thing about it is that she, she will not let you tell her beforehand when she's doing it wrong. Like I can tell beforehand that, that this isn't going to work out right. You know, like she's, she's, she's got the shirt kind of backwards ready to go. And I'll say, Marley, you know, you got the shirt backwards. And she says, no. And she'll put it on anyway, you know. And she would rather get dressed four different times by herself rather than just let me tell her which way to do it. And, and don't even get me started on her pouring her own milk uh, because that's, that's a disaster all on its own. But for us, it's, it's not just that we need some extra help. It's that we need to be totally reliant on the strength of the Lord. It's something that we don't often like. As followers of Jesus Christ, we know that, that we are not strong enough to stand on our own. Cognitively, we know it. We see it in the Bible. We read about it. And yet oftentimes we try to live life as if we are strong enough. We try to live life as if we are strong enough. Many times we we fail to stand in God's strength by failing to put on the armor of God that Paul is about to, to walk us through here. We know the passage. It's a popular passage, but we fail to actually heed to it. So I want us to see today in this passage four requisites to be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. The first way to be strong in the Lord is to be aware. The first way to be strong in the Lord is to be aware. Read verses 10 through 13 with me, if you will. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you have done everything to stand. We have to be aware. Every good soldier is an aware 
soldier. He's aware of his surroundings. He's aware of his situation. He's aware of what's going on. And there's three things that, that, that Paul points out that you need to be aware of. First, you need to be aware of the Lord's strength. You need to be aware of the Lord's strength and not only of his strength, but that his strength is available to you. He says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. He wouldn't tell you that if it wasn't available to you. The Bible wouldn't say that if his strength wasn't available for our use. You see, it's not that God is this big, mighty, powerful God who's, who's up there and he's just kind of like way far away over there and we're his little, you know, kind of pitiful minions way down here and he's just left us uh, uh, to be on our own. When we're united with Christ, when we're united with Christ, and that's what the book of Ephesians is all about, is it not? I hope you've seen that throughout the book of Ephesians. It's all about being united in Christ. And when we're united with Christ, uh, his strength is available to us as well. His strength is available to us. We're going to see in just a few verses what that looks like. But we need to be aware that we're not left on our own and in our own weakness. God provides strength for us in this battle. What do we need strength for? Glad you asked. The second thing we need to be aware of is the war. We have to be aware of the war. So this whole text places us in the midst of battle. It's, it's not a physical battle. Like I've already said, it's not a physical battle. It's a spiritual battle. But I worry that way too often, Christians, you know, they don't see the reality of battle in their lives. They don't see the reality of the battle that we have been placed in. Too often I think Christians see the Christian life as, as some sort of game or some sort of hobby, or, or maybe it's, it's some sort of like business that they have to be about, or, or, or whatever they think it is. I, I don't know what people think it is, but, but often it's, it's certainly not a time of war. They don't see the Christian life as being a battle. They don't have a wartime mentality. We don't wake up expecting to go through spiritual attack even though we know we're going to, but we, we act like we won't. And so when it comes down, it, it, you know, when the spiritual attack comes, we're thrown into a fritz, and we don't know what to do. But people who live in a wartime mentality, they live differently. They, they live prepared and equipped. Can you imagine if we sent our American soldiers out somewhere amidst an enemy and, and didn't tell them that we were at war with this enemy? Like we just, we, we send them out there and, and, and they think they're going out there just to be stationed there and in peacetime or whatever. Uh, you know, can you imagine the disaster that would come of that? Can you imagine the, the anger that would come of that? And, and people would say, why, why didn't you tell them they were going into war? Why did you make them think they were going into peacetime? It wouldn't make any sense, right? There's a couple problems with not recognizing that you're in the war. First of all, you don't realize that you're in danger. You don't recognize that you're in danger. One of those soldiers might go out for a morning jog right in the middle of enemy territory. And, and he doesn't know because he, he doesn't know that he's in danger. You're, you're not on the lookout. You're not ready for a fight. Second danger is, is you don't realize that you need armor. If, if you're not in a wartime mentality, you don't realize that you need armor. There's, there's an enemy that's trying to harm you, but since you don't know that you're in a war, you, you don't know to protect yourself. You don't know that you need it. And then you don't resist the enemy. When you don't know that you're in war, you don't resist the enemy. 
If you don't know that you're in a battle, you, you don't know that there's an enemy trying to destroy you. And he may just try to destroy you by befriending you, by coming alongside of you and stabbing you in the back later. And you unknowingly fall into his traps. It's dangerous to live in the battle without having a wartime mentality. Y'all, we face spiritual battle on a daily basis. We face it on a daily basis. It comes through temptation. It comes through, it comes through that, that guy at, at, at work that bugs you and that, that, that anger that rises inside of you. It shows up in your marriages. It shows up in your relationships. It shows up in, in every single aspect of your life. The spiritual battle, it might, it might be unseen. The, the spiritual part of it might be unseen, but it, it plays out in a very, very real way in our lives. No one is excluded from that. We must be aware of the battle, but even more so, we must be aware of the enemy. We have to be aware of the enemy. After all, in order to resist him and to fight him, we have to know who he is, right? You, you, you can't fight an enemy that you don't know who it is. In verse 12, Paul says, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And the enemy, according to verse 12, is not people. The enemy is not people. It's not the atheist. He's not the enemy. It's, it's not the guy who, who makes fun of you for being a Christian. It's not the guy who, who, who brings you into temptation in, in, in whatever kind of way he does. It's not people of other religions. It's not people at all. People are not the enemy. He says the enemy is not, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but it's against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. The enemy is Satan and all of the spiritual forces of evil. And, and you got to recognize, this is quite significant for Paul to say here. Because at this time, Paul is writing this letter while he's sitting in prison, chained to a Roman guard, because somebody complained that he was sharing the gospel. Some, some supposed enemy pops up and puts him in prison and now he's writing and saying our enemy is not flesh and blood it's spiritual it's, it, it's evil it's Satan himself he doesn't see flesh and blood as the enemy he sees the enemy as spiritual do you live with a wartime mentality do you, do you, do you wake up prepared for the battle? Or do you wake up and prepare for the battle? Do you recognize that the enemy is Satan and his demons? He's about to talk about putting on the armor of the Lord. And I, I, I think a lot of times we, we kind of skip over that. And I'm worried that the reason that we don't put on the armor that we're about to see in just a minute is because we don't know the enemy. We, we, we try to put on, uh, on different kind of armor because we're preparing for a different kind of enemy. Maybe you think that the enemy is, is poverty created by, by greedy people. <clears throat> Maybe you think it's government and politicians. Maybe you think it's, it's systems. Maybe you think it's lack of education. Maybe you think it's those racist folks over there. You think it's, it's homosexuals and adulterers. You think it's atheists or Muslims or people of other religions. 
And I don't know who you might think it is, but whoever you think it is, whoever you think is the enemy, you're going to prepare for war against them. But that's not what God has called you to. He's not called you to war against people. He's called you to be in the spiritual battle. And if you're pre preparing to battle with humans, you're, you're going to prepare yourself by human, by human means. But Paul is clear in verse 12, we're not fighting against flesh and blood. It's against the schemes of the devil. It's against the powers of darkness. It's against the forces of evil. And when you realize that, when you realize that the only way to stand against them is, is, is spiritual, then we'll put on the armor of the Lord. Or maybe you just don't think that there is an enemy. Maybe it's not that you've identified the enemy wrong. Maybe you just are, are, are identifying the, 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 that there is no enemy. Maybe you don't, you're completely unaware of the war. And, and this is where, unfortunately, I think a lot of Western churches have gone wrong. This is where I think a lot of our churches have gone wrong. They don't see the battle. They think it's all just competition as to which club people are going to take part of. Or, or, or competition for how many consumers might show up at your church on a Sunday morning. But y'all, this isn't competition. And it's not consumerism. The church isn't a corporation where if you, you hire a good enough CEO and you invest enough money in it and, and you put together good enough product and you market your brand good enough, then, then, uh, then all will be well. It, it, if that's your view of the church, then, then your view of the church is totally skewed. You've missed it. You've, you've totally missed what we're here for if, if, if that's how you see the church. If it's just some business, if it's just some corporation, it's not. Y'all, it's an outpost of the kingdom. The church is an outpost of the kingdom. And y'all, this is why we plant churches. This is why we continue to plant churches. It's not because we think that North Tonawanda needed another business. It needed another corporation. It's because North Tonawanda, North Tonawanda needed gospel presence. They needed people who were standing firm. In, in the Lord's strength, they needed people who were, who were proclaiming the gospel. They needed people who were living out the gospel. And there's still places all over Buffalo, places all over Western New York, and places all over the world that still need that today. That's why we continue to do what we do. God is telling us, stand firm, be ready. The enemy will attack you. He will attack you. You are in battle, and so then put on the armor that I have given you through the blood of my son, Jesus Christ. We must be aware of the battle, and we must be aware of the enemy. It's not flesh and blood. It's not people. It's the spiritual forces of evil. They are very much present in this world. So be aware of the Lord's strength available to you. Be aware of the war and be aware of the enemy. And once we are aware, then you must be equipped. You must be equipped. Read verses 14 through 17 with me. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Notice how Paul uh, says constantly throughout this passage to put on the whole 
armor of God. And then he, he further emphasizes it by listing out six different pieces of this armor. Make no mistake, y'all, we are in a battle and, and, and God has indeed sent us into the front lines of the battle. He sent us into the front lines of the battle, but he doesn't do it without equipping us. He doesn't do it without equipping us. But when he gives us that equipment, we still have to put it on. We still have to take it up on a daily basis. We have to prepare, and, and we can't prepare with just anything. We have to be prepared with his armor. We have to be prepared with the right armor. Listen, no Marine, no soldier goes into battle with a water gun, all right? It, it doesn't do very much good, does it? it, it if you go into to, to the war ill-prepared, you don't stand much of a chance. So let's look at the six different pieces of armor here. Let's look at them real quick. The first one that he says in verse 14, he says, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. The Bible is the word of God. And in being the word of God, it is utter truth. It is, is the truth. It is the standard of truth. It is what we, we hold all things up to, to look for the truth. Now, the phrase literally in the original Greek language is having girded up your loins with the truth. You ever heard this term before, girding up your loins? All right, so this is what girding up your loins means. So back in the day, men wore long tunics, all right? So this was a problem if you're trying to run. So what they would do is they'd kind of hike them up and pull them around, and, and it would look like a diaper, kind of. You know, like they would, they would wrap it in the front, and it would kind of look like a diaper. And, and the point is, it would, it would keep them from tripping up. That's what the truth is to do in our lives. That's what the truth of God's word is to do in our lives. We, we constantly are, are fed lies every day. That's, that's great. Satan's greatest tool is, is feeding you lies, and he does it in all sorts of different ways. He can do it in your mind. He does it through media. He does it through all sorts of different stuff. And, and, and we take that stuff in every day, but are we holding it up to truth? Are we holding it up to truth? And, and particularly, the truth of God's word. Don't get tripped up by the lies. Second, he talks about the breastplate of righteousness. Uh, at the end of verse 14 there. He says, with the breastplate of righteousness in place. Paul has been telling believers to walk in righteousness for the last three chapters. The first three chapters were all about how we've been given the righteous standing of Jesus Christ so that one day when we stand before God, we stand in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. He's imputed that to us. He's given that to us from the moment that we believe. But in chapters four through six, he says, so walk in it. So walk in it. Each section talks about walking in righteousness. Righteousness in evil is a matter of the heart. It's a matter of the heart. He calls us to put on the breastplate of righteousness because it guards our hearts. We have to be prepared to face our day in righteousness, guarding our hearts so it doesn't give into greed, into lust, into gossip, into whatever it normally gives into. Be prepared for that. Know the struggles that you face. Be prepared for them. Put on the breastplate of righteousness. Third, he says, the shoes of the gospel. In verse 15, he says, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Paul is saying to be rooted in the gospel here. We're to be rooted in the gospel. Satan's favorite trick is to tell you that you're not good enough. 
that you'll never be good enough for God, that you've got to straighten yourself out before you could ever be a child of God. Uh, he, he loves to remind you in all the ways that you fail. He loves to do all these kinds of things. But if you're rooted in the gospel, guess what? You already know that. If you're rooted in the gospel, you already know that you're not good enough. But you know that Jesus Christ was. And you know that he gives you his righteousness. And that you can stand firm in that. And that no lie of the devil and that no attack that he brings against you can uproot you. We're to preach the gospel to ourselves every single day. The gospel tells us that we are more sinful than we ever knew that we were. But it says in Jesus Christ, you're more loved and you are more accepted than you ever could have imagined possible. You have to preach that to yourself every day. Don't let him bring you down by his lies. Fourth, the shield of faith. He says in verse 16, uh, in addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Stand strong in your faith, he tells you. Remember that, it, that it's God who upholds your faith. It's God who upholds your faith. And, and trust in the promises of God to extinguish the flaming arrows of the devil's lies. Trust in him to do that. The, the devil is going to shoot you those lies all the day long. They may come in many different forms. But, but when you wake up every single morning strapping on the shield of faith by choosing to believe what God says, not just looking at what it says, but choosing to believe what he says, then we'll be able to stand firm. Our faith will be able to sustain you. He then talks about the helmet of salvation, putting on the helmet of salvation. He's talking about being renewed in the spirit of our minds. Be renewed in the spirit of your minds. Let the, the salvation that you have received, let the knowledge that you are a child of God change the way you think. You, you no longer have to think like, like Satan tells you to but you can, you can renew your mind in the truths of the gospel. And last, he says, the sword of the Spirit, taking up the sword of the Spirit. Y'all, can I tell you something? Memorizing scripture is, is, is for, for much more than, than just getting like, a, you know, a treat as a child or something like that. Like memorizing scripture is important. I, I, I know it's not cool today because, because we got it in our pockets on our iPhones, but, but it's just not the same. To, to, you know, when you're coming under spiritual attack, when, when Satan is feeding you lies, like your first reaction isn't to pull out your iPhone and say, hmm, let's see what the Bible says about that. No, it's got to shape your mind. It's got to be there. It's got to be in your heart so you can take it with you. You can use it as a weapon just as Jesus did when he was being tempted. And this Jesus, he's fulfilled the scripture, the, this sword, and he's given it to us as truth. So use it. Use it. All of this armor is given to us in Jesus Christ. It's God's armor. But are you putting it on daily? Are you putting it on daily? Are you spending time every single day soaking in God's word and centering yourself on his truth? That's how we stand strong. It's the means he has given us to be strong in him. And, and it is enough to stand strong. So in order to be strong in the battle, we must be aware, we must be equipped, and we must be prayerful. Look at verses 18 through 20. He says, And pray in the Spirit on all occasions, with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert, and always, uh, always keep on praying for all the saints. Pray also for me, that whenever I open my mouth, 
words may be given to me, so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly, as I should. Paul tells us to pray at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. The power of prayer is beyond our imagination. You can't put on the armor of God without prayer. You can't do it. It's not going to happen. Paul showed us in Ephesians 3 the power of prayer. In verse 20, he said that God is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or seek or think. Prayer is turning to God and saying, I believe that you are the all-powerful God, that you are the sovereign one over all. And in the midst of spiritual battle, it's turning to God saying, it's only by your power that I can fight this battle. It's only by your power that I can, I can fight this, this battle. You can't put on any of the armor without prayer. How desperate are you for his power? How desperate are you to stand strong in the Lord? How desperate are you to, to fight the battle? How, how desperate are you to, to run the race that you've been given? It, it, it goes back to, to how aware we are of the war around us and how powerless we are without his armor strapped on every single morning. Do you believe that? Do you have that mentality? Are you going to wait until you hit rock bottom to turn for, to him for strength? Or are you going to recognize the battle is already raging and you need him? Don't let the enemy attack your heart into complacency or bitterness or whatever mild form of, of godless living that, that he can settle you into without ripping your heart into a desperate place. Be prepared for it. Put on the armor. Be in prayer. He doesn't want you to be desperate, but we must be. We must be. And if we know this God, then we should be. Further, it's through prayer that we call people to cross the battle lines. It's through prayer that we call people to cross the battle lines. Have you noticed that throughout this passage, Paul talks about standing firm and wearing armor that seems to just be defensive the whole time? But now, you know, it's always blocking us from, from attack, but never attacking. But it's at the end here that he gives us the offensive, and it's through prayer. It's through prayer, and it's through prayer that, that we will be bold enough to share the gospel, the word of truth. Jesus continues to call people who stand outside of his kingdom to come across the battle lines and to join the winning side. Are you doing that? Are you praying? Are you praying for, for those who don't know him? Are you praying for, for those who are side by side with you, who are, who are speaking the truth of the gospel, that they will speak the truth of the gospel? Let's be in prayer. So to be strong in the Lord, we must be aware, we must be equipped, and we must be prayerful. When we do those things, we will be victorious. This is the, the sum of the whole book of Ephesians, that we will be victorious when we're united with Christ. That song, Victory in Jesus, I was telling Mario this morning, I was so glad he picked that song. I kind of hoped he would. I never thought to actually ask him to do it. I probably could have done that. But um, I was glad he did it because we do have victory in Jesus. This, this is an accumulation of the entire book of Ephesians. We've seen that Christ has been victorious over the grave. We've seen that he's been victorious over the evil powers that, that Paul is talking about attacking us here. We've seen that he's been victorious over Satan, all the forces of evil, and that he has victory. 
But this leaves a lot of people asking the question, if Christ is already victorious, then why are we still in the battle? If Christ is already victorious, then why are we still in the battle? This is, this is something that theologians call the already not yet aspect of the gospel. The already not yet aspect of the gospel is that Jesus is resurrected, but we are not yet. It's that he has inaugurated the kingdom of God, but it's not, it's not fully present yet. It's breaking into the world, and it's doing that through the church, but it's not fully here yet. So then how is it that Jesus is already victorious? Is it, is it simply just a guarantee that one day he will be victorious, and, and it's just some kind of hyperbole? No. I'd say he's, he's already won the war. He won it at the moment that he rose from the dead. He crushed Satan's greatest weapon. Ephesians 1, uh, 19 through 23, it says this, and, it, it, and his incomparably great power for us who, who believe that power, that power is like the working of his mighty strength. Uh, this is talking about God the Father, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And then in Ephesians 2, verses 5 through 7, it says that he has made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And, and God raised us up. Up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. He has already raised him to the highest place and, and he says in chapter 2 that he seated us with him. The victory is there when we are in Christ Jesus. It's, it, it's not to come, it's, it's already there. Though we do not yet see the fullness of the fruit of his victory, we're fighting a defeated enemy. Satan's like that guy. He's like that guy when you play Monopoly, you know, who just, who wants to play all the way till you take his last dollar. Y'all know what I'm talking about, right? I know what I'm talking about because I'm that guy. But he really is. Like, the, the, the game is over. It's over. He's defeated but he's still gonna make you take every single last dollar that he's got. He's gonna make you mortgage you know, all of his properties and do all that stuff. But he's defeated. He's defeated. The battle is won. So Christian, you can know that while the enemy throws everything he has at you, he accuses you of not being good enough. He tempts you to worry more about uh, the people, uh, of what people think of you, uh, more than being a child of God. He, he, he tempts you to think more about your money than about him. He, he, he tries to feed you lies of hopelessness and worthlessness. He tries to tell you that abandoning your faith will make your life better. He tries to destroy your marriages. He tries to destroy your families. He tries to destroy your relationships, your witnesses, and your church. And when he shoots all of those bullets at you and seeks to stone you by crushing you under the weight of sin, know this, that you can stand firm in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. You can stand firm in him. Because while Satan might have a lot of ammo against you, the only one that he ever had that could bring you down, Jesus has defeated. It was death. It was sin and death. He's defeated it. He rose from the grave and he lives forevermore.
And now, now Satan cannot take away who you are because your identity is in Christ. We've seen that in Ephesians. He cannot condemn you in any way because your righteousness is the righteousness of Christ. He can't separate you from the love of Christ. He can't crush you. He cannot defeat you when you are standing in the Lord's strength. And when we take up the shield of faith and we turn from our sin and trust in him, we're found safe from all attack. Death is swallowed up in victory. Jesus has done it. As a church, we're to be victorious together. We're called to be victorious together. In his, in his uh, Christian classic, The Pilgrim's Progress, John Bunyan talks about his, his main character, Christian, and he's standing there, and, and, and he makes a, he, he's standing there in all the armor of God, and he makes an observation that, that none of the armor covers the back. I shouldn't do that. Um, he makes the observation that none of the armor covers the back. You know why? Because, because it's expected that we're standing side by side. As the church, we're, we're holding our line together. We're keeping the enemy in front of us, never getting behind us because we're standing side by side. That's how we're better together. That's how we, we put our witness out together. One of Satan's greatest tactics is to seek to destroy the church. He wants to destroy the church, and he wants to make you think that you don't need to be part of a church. He wants to make you think that you can do it all on your own because he knows when you do that, you leave your back exposed. We're called to be the church together. The question is, will you stand together in Christ? Will you stand together in Christ as the church? For those of you who, who are here and you're not followers of Christ, know this. You don't stand outside the battle. It's not a battle we enter into when we become believers. It's a battle that we all face. We all face. You're in it as well. Maybe you don't believe in any spiritual realm or, or an actual presence of evil, but just because you don't believe in it doesn't mean it's not there. But Christ is calling you to be victorious in him. Christ is calling you to be in him. Believers must stand in the, in the midst of spiritual warfare by putting on the whole armor of God. We have to take on the wartime mentality. We have to be aware. We have to be equipped. We have to be prayerful. And then we will be victorious. Don't let the devil win the battles in your life just because you were unaware of the battle or just because you were unprepared when God has given you all that you need to fight his attacks. Be in the word. Be in the word. Be prepared. Be ready for the attacks that you know Satan is going to throw at you. Stand side by side. Fight for those who are next to you. Remind them to put their armor on on a daily basis. Encourage them to stand firm even when the battle feels fierce. Even when the battle feels like it can't be won. Remind them that it has been won in Jesus. I'm going to go ahead and pray. I'm going to invite Mario to come up uh, as we do the last song. Pray with me. Lord, we thank you that you have the victory, Lord. That it's, it's, it's not just a promise of the future, but you have done it. You have, you have lived the perfect life. You have, you have died in our place, and you have risen from the dead. You have swallowed up death in victory. You equip us, Lord. You give us your word. 
you, you, you give us yourself, you give us your spirit that lives inside of us, Lord, let us walk in it. Let us walk in the spirit daily, Lord. Let us walk in the, in the truth of your word. Let us be prepared for the enemy. Lord, let us not give an inch to him. And let us go forth and proclaim the good news of who you are, Lord, the good news of your gospel, so that others who are in this battle may know that we've found victory in you, and they can too. Lord, remind us that on a daily basis. Let us, as a church, Lord, stand side by side, never believing the lie that we can, we can do this on our own, never believing the lie that we can do it outside of your strength and that we can do it outside of standing side by side with our brothers and sisters in faith. But let us do it together, Lord, in you as we have all been united in you. We love you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.